You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. We're in Genesis. Uh, We're going to be there for the next 20 years, so get used to it. We've done Genesis 1 and 2. Today we want to do Genesis 3. And we go from the beauty and the goodness of Eden to the brokenness of a mission derailed. Genesis chapter 3. Read with me here. Follow along. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say, You shall not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it lest you die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is the word of God for us to ponder this morning. It's a packed story, full of all kinds of things, that I want to know the answers. What's this talking snake routine? Like, really? And where did that tree come from? And why is it there? And all those kinds of stuff that God doesn't give us answers for any of those things. That's so frustrating to me. What he does do is give us a story to follow through. And that story tells us a lot. So we're going to Focus our hearts and our minds and our spirits on what is said here. Lord God, I'm going to start with the serpent. We're told later in Revelation chapter 12 that this serpent, the great dragon, is Satan, the devil. But the serpent comes and he is crafty. Now, crafty, good thing or bad thing? Yeah, right, trick question. My daughter is crafty. She's amazingly, I mean, she loves crafts and she's really good at it. And I can tell you, as her papa, sometimes she is crafty and does mean things to her papa. 
in good fun, to be sure. He said, did God really? Like, really, seriously? God said, like, don't eat? Really? And he's raising a question to Eve, really? There was some tree he put there, he said, don't eat? Like, what's the deal? What's the deal? What's the deal? And what I think we find here is the serpent is asking that question because underlying all of this is what kind of God would do that? What kind of, what's God up to? What is he doing that he would put this tree there and then tell you, don't eat it? Like, what's the deal? What's the deal? Really? Like, why? What's Eve's response? What's Eve's response? Well, we can eat like the fruit of any of these trees, but that one in the middle of the garden, it's in the middle of the garden. Don't eat it, don't touch it, or you'll die. Now, do they know what it is to die? Probably not, but whatever it is, it's not good. And God is providing, God's providing all kinds of trees, but he says, this tree, uh, no, no, no. Like, okay, like what, what's up with that? What's up with that? The serpent says, you're not going to die. Listen, he says, God knows, God knows that when you eat this tree, when you eat this fruit, uh, your eyes will be open. You'll be wise. Like, I, he, he's leaving a question for Eve, like, what's God up to? I mean, he says don't eat it, but is that really what he means? Like, and why would he do that? I mean, to start, huh. And I think what happens here, I think what the serpent is suggesting is to think that, you know, really, probably God isn't trustworthy. You know, he's, he's, he's like a big God. He's got the whole universe to take care of, maker of heaven and earth. He's really busy. He's all-powerful, omniscient, all those kinds of stuff. And, you know, maybe he doesn't really care about you. Maybe, you know, taking God at his word, maybe that's not the best thing to do. Maybe you should look for what's going on. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, we're just, we're like Eve, we're thinking. Maybe, maybe. What God wants us to do is think, ah, oh, look at that. If I grow up, maybe that's what God wants me to do is grow up. Instead of following, you know, the, the legalistic don't eat, maybe he wants me to do is like be an adult, think for myself. And I think what the serpent is doing here fundamentally with his, really? Seriously. Like, really? He said that? Is he's reinterpreting life. Hmm. 
Oh, Janice. <laughs> Next slide. The, uh, I think that's what he's doing is say, let's, because God's given interpretation. He's saying, let's just let's think for ourselves. Okay? Next slide. Sherry and I, first date was Jungle Book, 1967. <laughs> Rudyard Kipping, you know, follows all kinds of biblical themes in his stories there in, in Jungle Book. And so Mowgli is taken by Ka, the serpent, and it's clearly a reflection back on Genesis 3. And the way Rudyard Kipling does it is Ka, the serpent, is hypnotizing Mowgli. And if you know the story, uh, the tiger comes in and whacks the snake and interrupts things. Is that what Ka is doing? Is that what the serpent is doing in Genesis chapter 3? You know, I don't think so. I don't think the serpent is hypnotizing Eve. I think exactly the opposite. Next slide. When I look at this and look at the tree, God says about the tree back in chapter 2, he says, next slide, about this tree. It's the tree of the knowing of good and evil. And it is basically defining what is good, right, true, beautiful, and real. Knowing good and evil is an idiom in Scripture that's basically an age of accountability. So in Isaiah 7, when the young man will know good and evil, you'll see these enemies defeated. Who do you see they have accountability? Later on, you see David, when he gets old, is no longer able to know good and evil. He's no longer able to decide for himself what to do. He needs help to take care of him. And that idiom, I think, is the knowing of good and evil, is defining what is good, right, true, beautiful, real, those kinds of things. So when God defines the tree, it's still not working, go ahead. He says, dangerous tree. He says, next slide, don't eat it. He says, why? Because it will kill you. That's God's interpretation of the tree. Dangerous tree, don't eat it, it will kill you. The serpent gives a counter-interpretation. And what he's saying is, good tree, eat it, it will make you like God. See, God's interpretation and the serpent's interpretation. What is the serpent wanting him to do? Wanting her to do is like, well, let's look at it. This tree is knowing who will define, next slide, what is good, right, true, and beautiful. And I think what happens here is the serpent is suggesting to Eve, check it out for yourself. Check it out for yourself. Don't trust anybody. In fact, instead of hypnotizing Eve, he's calling her to exactly the opposite, be completely rational. Check it out for yourself. Next slide. Eve's failure. Think of the conversation here so far. Who are the parties to the conversation? Who speaks in verse 1? 
You've got all memorized, don't you? Who speaks in verse 1? Serpent. Mm-hmm. Who speaks in, uh, sorry, yeah, serpent. Who speaks in verse 2? Who speaks in verse 2? Eve does. Okay, and the rest of that conversation down through verse 6, who else speaks? In the rest of that conversation down through verse 6 that we read, who else speaks? And the answer is nobody. 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 It's just Eve and the serpent. Serpent initiating Eve responding. And the serpent says, like, really? Really? What would have happened if the serpent said, did God really say? If Eve would have said, just a minute, Mr. Serpent. Uh, Mr. God, Mr. God, Mr. Serpent's got a question for you. Would anything have changed? Everything would have changed. What would have happened if she, the serpent says, did God really say? You said, just a minute. Uh, Mr. Adam, Mr. Adam, come here. Please stop doing the cherry tree thing. I need your help for a minute. Would anything have changed? Everything would have changed. See, what happens is he wants us to talk about God. Go ahead, Janice. Instead of with God. The serpent's agenda is to get us to talk about God who's out there somewhere instead of with God. And you go back to chapter 2 that Jay helped us look at last week. God and Adam are working closely together naming the animals and making the wife and all those kinds of things. But serpent says, no, let's, let's, let's talk about God. And he also says, study God alone. You don't need help. You don't need your husband with you. You don't need your friend with you. You don't need, just, you know, do it yourself. Do it yourself. See, that's the serpent's agenda. Let's talk about God. Let's do our pondering with Bible clothes. Let's get in your closet or get at your phone and stare at the screen. And let's just figure things out for ourselves. That's a serpent's agenda, seems to me, then and now. Next slide. The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. Next slide. And you see that phrase, good for food and pleasing to the eye, and if you're hyperlinking around in the Bible, you will remember this verse in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And in that verse, you see the Lord God made all the trees, and they're pleasing to the eye and good for food. We'll try this one. Thank you. What's she saying? She looked at the tree and saw it's pleasing the eye and good for food. It's just like all the other trees. It's just like all the other trees. How did she know that? She checked it out for herself. And not only is it like the other trees, I mean, it's just there's no difference. It's also, it'll make you wise. How will it make you wise? You'll figure out for yourself what is good, right, true, beautiful, and real. So this is the thing. Check things out by her own perception and experience. That's the serpent's agenda. That's the serpent's agenda for Eve and for us. 
That's the serpent's agenda. Don't trust anybody. Well, I mean, trust who you want to trust. But no, basically, don't trust anybody. Check it out for yourself. Don't take credentials of somebody. Check them out for yourself. Don't just... You know yourself. Nobody else does. Check it out for yourself. And so what she does, she looks at the tree and checks it out for herself and discovers, that's like all the other trees. Ain't it make me wise? I mean, God wants me to grow up. God wants me to be an adult. God wants me to dare to think. She took some and ate it. She saw and took. She saw herself and took based on what she saw. And that's the, that's the sin pattern that you see and take. We're going to find that happening all the way along. We're going to see it happening all the way along. You see, judge for yourself, and then you act based on what you see. This is very different from the hear and follow. When we get to Abraham in chapter 12, for example, God will show up to him and say, leave your family, leave your home, leave everything and come with me to some place I'll tell you about later. And Abraham hears and follows. See, the sin pattern is see and take. God's pattern is hear and follow. It's our choice. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now, going back to Jungle Book, right? Remember Mowgli at the end of the thing? He's been having a great time with the bear and the tiger, and, and he sees this incredible, beautiful young thing, and she goes, woo, at him, and he's gone, right? Gone, yeah. That's what Sherry did to me back in the day. Is that what happened here? I don't think that's what happened here. I don't think that she hypnotizes him. I think he makes a choice completely and responsibly, and Paul reads the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 2. What does God do? See, the story of the mission derailed teaches a lot of lessons how the serpent works, but the heart of the story is not the serpent's work. It's not Eve's failure. It's not Adam's deliberate sin. The heart of the story is what God does does. So let's look at that. Man and wife heard the sound of God in the garden as he was doing what? As he was doing what? Walking in the garden. Now, in the context of the whole scripture, does God know that they've eaten the fruit? Yeah. What does God do in the context of their betrayal of that relationship? Their failure and rejection of trust? He comes to them. What God does in the context of sin is he comes. I've heard all kinds of people say God cannot tolerate sin in his presence. Thankfully, that's not true. Thankfully, that's not true. Here in Eden, first sin, horrible sin, God comes to the place of sin. And when he gets there, <clears throat> he calls to the man. So what God does is he comes and he calls because he cares. That's who he is. He's the God of mercy and compassion and grace and who is unfailing in his love and faithfulness, who loves to forgive. 
This is the God who comes and calls. And what does he call? Where are you? Now, again, do you think God knows they're in that bush over there? The answer is, yeah. Why does he ask this? Why does he say, where are you? He doesn't care about Adam and Eve's physical presence. He cares about their personal presence. I think what happens here is, where are you, is inviting confession. What is confession? It's telling what happened. It's bringing your trash and your sin and your brokenness and your fears and all those things to God and talking about it. How does Adam do? How does Adam do in his confession? Well, let's look at it. I heard you in the garden. That's the context. Good. And I was afraid. That's the emotion. Because I was naked. That's the identity. So I hid action. Okay, think again with me. I heard you in the garden, act, context. I was afraid, emotion. I was naked, vulnerable, and likely to get hurt. So I hid action. So far, so good. I mean, like, really good so far. What does he not have here? I ate, it was wrong. What does God go for? What does God go for? The context, the emotion, the identity, or the action? Which does God go for? He goes for the identity. God, go, who told you you were naked? He's after the identity, and you heard it in Jay's introduction to that broken vessel song, identity is everything. You will always act in the long run based on your identity. He goes for identity. Who told you that you were naked? Who told Eve that she was naked? Who told Adam he was naked? Well, God didn't. God didn't. God goes for the identity, and the next thing he says is, have you eaten? From the tree I told him not to eat. What's he doing here? What's the tone of his voice? Have you eaten the tree? Is it saying, have you eaten the tree? He's saying, did you eat the tree for crying out loud, kid? What's the tone of his voice? Saying the God of compassion and grace is saying, did you eat? I think what he's doing here is he's inviting the rest of the confession. He's asking, he's suggesting, he's inviting Adam to say, yeah, I ate, Papa, and it was wrong. He's inviting confession. Why? Because he wants to heal and forgive. How does, how does Adam do? It was a woman that you gave me. Oh my gosh, could it be any worse? 
totally, totally dumps it. Totally dumps it. Blame shifting, denial of responsibility. I ate, but it wasn't my fault. It was your fault, God. You know, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Lord God turns to the woman, says what? What's this you've done? Again, what's he doing? What's he doing? Inviting confession. This is not the brittle, angry, disappointed God. This is the God of compassion and grace inviting confession from people who have sinned disastrously. Inviting confession. How does she do? She nails it. What does she say? The serpent deceived me. Exactly what happened. I ate. Nailed it. So here's the thing. When you're faced with the compassionate God who is inviting confession or the compassionate friend who's inviting you to talk about the trash, will you go the way of Adam and blame and make excuses and minimize and deny and all those things? Or will you go like Eve and just name it? Just name it. Some things to think about. Satan's scheme... The serpent scheme, because the serpent's still really active today, really active today. He's the prince of this world, and his agenda is to rob us of our identity. Jay said it very well. What would happen if we really saw ourselves as children of the Lord Most High? What would happen if we saw ourselves as siblings of Jesus, if that really was our fundamental identity, would that change anything? Satan's agenda is to rob us and give us the identity of, you're a fat pig. Nobody would ever love you. Oh my gosh, don't talk about that. They will roll their eyes and walk away and blog about you. You want to face the Instagram? Just put it out there. Satan wants to give you an identity. The world wants to give you identity. Very, very different thing than God wants to give. Satan's agenda today, I think, is to remind me of the trouble in my life. And suggest, God doesn't care. I think of Donna Sherburn, who's having, well, just had gallbladder surgery this morning. She may be out by now, I don't know. If God really cared, you wouldn't go through that. Sandy Snavely, a lot of us know Sandy and Bud, longtime friends. Bud had a heart attack about five weeks ago and just his body just went to nothing. Here about a week ago, the surgeon was looking, figuring out what's doing. They opened up his discovered his breastbone was so full of infection that they had to take the breastbone out. It's never happened to this well-experienced surgeon. He's never had an infection that bad. And yesterday, Sandy waited for their son Dean to arrive, and they let Bud go into eternity. 
I was interacting with her on Facebook yesterday. I was down in California. Some of you did too because I saw you post on there. Bud, I mean strong, godly man, dead. God doesn't care. I mean, if he really cared, he would have let it go. We don't know when the memorial service will be. Watch the church email. You'll see it. and It'll be an incredible celebration of this godly man and an amazing woman who is his wife, Sandy. I, I just think how many are there. I, Tim Clark was here this morning. Carol, they're sitting back in the corner there. Tim, as you know, had a huge tumor in his shoulder, and that cancer has now spread into his lungs, and he's in chemo. Carol, his wife, is also in treatment for cancer. God cared. He wouldn't let this happen. I mean, Mayor Tim Clark, he's an amazing guy. Carol is a saint. If God cared, he wouldn't do that. I mean, or maybe God's helpless. Maybe he can't do anything. Ashley Young, there is no end to the troubles of that woman's body. Went to Cincinnati and they turned her down because she couldn't do what it was doing. I mean, and she's going to the best in the world. Sandra Swanson. Bicycle accident. Just talked to her after first service. Broken shoulder, surgery, four badly broken ribs, muscle spasms, just as of yesterday, was able to walk again. God didn't care. He can't do anything. The whole stage was full of McKinney's this morning. Donna McKinney, Jay's mom, wife and grandmother in a rehab center after a Guillain-Barre. Can't move her legs at all, can barely move her arms. If God cared, he wouldn't let that happen. Matt, sitting right here in front of me, in a wheelchair. I mean, if God cared, your body wouldn't be like that. I mean, God's helpless, right? Yeah, right. We know your spirit, Matt. (laughs) Ev Walden was sitting over there this morning. Lung cancer. Doctors, really no hope. I mean, they're doing chemo to try to arrest it. Gary, it's so hard for him to see his wife in such desperate trouble. Tamara Lubeck, a lot of you know Ray and Tamara. Tuesday, driving to work in a little mini. Driver lost control, slammed in her head on. I... Bad brain bleed, broken arms, broken hip socket. The end of her leg down here, the bone is shattered. She's had several surgeries. I'll have another one probably tomorrow to try to repair this terribly shattered leg bone. She's barely responsive. There may be brain damage. I mean, who knows? God's helpless. I mean, look at the trouble. If God really cared, he wouldn't let this happen to you. Got a note from one of my students this week. Said, please pray. My stepdaughter hates me. My stepdaughter hates me. She's got to figure out how to be stepmom to a daughter who has decided that she's the devil. We've got a situation in the church here of her husband is terribly, terribly betrayed his wife and family. I'm working with two situations where pastors have gotten to bed with the wrong woman and blown up. You see, if God cared, it wouldn't happen. It's really believable. It's really believable.
But see if we come with and look, we look at the life of Jesus. Here is God himself who left the throne of heaven and came to this earth and took life at its worst. And that's God. You can't say God doesn't care if you're looking at Jesus. This is Emmanuel, God with us. Everything he went through. He is doing something. Now, I didn't explain why Tamara Lubeck's and hospital, it doesn't matter, and all these other things I've talked about, and many others I could name here. It didn't explain those things, but what it does say makes it without any doubt God cares and he is doing something. Will you believe the serpent or will you believe the Lord who comes and cares and calls? What we'll do here is we will talk with God rather than about God. What does that mean? We'll get scripture over and listen to the Spirit. We'll be with other Christians. We'll not study God alone. We'll respond to God in community and with the living, caring God and His Spirit. We'll do that. Worship team, come on up here. The, uh, the question I want you to ponder in this next song is to fill in that blank. I will trust whom or what? What is it you fill that blank in with? And there's probably not just one thing you do here. I will trust whom or what? Jay found a song that I've been listening to about 50 times this week. The song is Death Was Arrested. It's an incredible song. We're going to sing it together. And, and you look at that song, Lost Without Hope, With No Place to Begin. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Let's sing it. That's the song. That's the song. The death the serpent brought is arrested by the grace of God. There are prayer teams on both sides here, communion tables, so you need to get out and go do prayer team right now. So you need to just go and do some business with God at the communion table, maybe with a friend. We're going to sing another song, another new song to me. It's Amen. It is magnificent to honor the Lord God. This is a good time for you to, like, talk to him. Talk to your friend. Sing. <laughs> Don't cry. Sing. <laughs> what a song. What a song. Thank you, Nancy, because you're on my list of people who are triumphing over incredible hardship. Thank you for singing that song so well. You know, I was in an Uber this week, and when I'm in an Uber these days, I identify myself as a pastor. And I got an Uber at San Jose Airport going over to the airport or going to the hotel and the Uber driver began confessing his sins to me in the Uber car. Okay, well, I was a little surprised, but we can do this. We stopped and picked up another rider because I'm cheap and I go the shared ride route. And this guy gets in the car and the Uber driver doesn't even miss a beat. He just keeps right on confessing his sins with this other guy in the car like he didn't exist. And we got to the hotel we stood back at the back as I got my suitcase out of the back of his car. And I was able to say, because of your confession, Jesus has forgiven your sin.
and wish him God's blessing. Now, that's what you need to do. Is you need to be that kind of person who can be the compassionate voice of the Lord Most High who loves to forgive and heal. You need to go to people and you need to announce and invite confession because we don't want people trapped in the voice of the serpent. We want people to believe honor and power and glory and amen. Father, thank you that you are the one who loves us with an undying love, with a faithful, caring, coming, and calling, inviting. Jesus, thank you for dying for our sin, disarming the hostile powers, bringing new life to arrest death and bring us life exalted above every name that is named and pouring out the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, give us the courage, the power, the tenderness, the authority to invite confession and pray for healing. And we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go change the world. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.